Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading for the lesson this morning will be taken from 2 Kings 18, verses 4 through 8. 2 Kings 18, verses 4 through 8. I'll be reading from the New King James. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord is with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to a fortified city. Would you open God's book, please, to 2 Kings chapter 18? We'll start there in just a couple of minutes. It'll be important for you to have a copy of the Bible that you can see in order to follow along with this sermon because we're going to stick right close with the text. So glad to see you here this morning. Well, um, I don't know, maybe two months ago, my father said to me, now, I want you to conduct my funeral. I don't know what he was mad at me about on that day. He said, will you do it? I said, well, if I'm alive at that time, I will do my best. I'll try. And um, so I've been thinking about funeral sermons. This sermon is not about a funeral sermon, except to make this launching point. It's interesting how you write a funeral sermon, and I I suppose I've conducted as many funerals as most average preachers. And one of the things that you want to do, especially if you know the deceased very well, is is to do sort of an overview of the main categories of life. And so we might talk to a man and say, he... He became a Christian at this age when he was a teenager, and he's always been a faithful Christian. He made that decision early on, and he stuck with it. We might talk about, I don't know, where he went to school and and what his career choice was. So it's kind of funny about life. When you look back upon it, you, you don't remember very many hours in your life what you did. As a matter of fact, you, you, you remember very few specific days. You know that you lived them, and if you sat down and put your mind to it, you could say, well, this is where I was living, and this is where I was working, etc. But you, you don't remember what you did on most days in your past, not specifics. That's not just true about days. I can make it a little tougher. I, we, we don't remember what we did most months. As a matter of fact, most years are true that way. You reflect on them. You know that you lived through them. And you could say some things about them, but specifics about all that time, very difficult to do. And so it's kind of interesting when you think about giving my life to Christ and reflecting upon it, that we, we live sort of in blocks as ref, in reference to our memories. We live in blocks of time, large spans of time. And I think about, about how that in the end, in reflection of my life, That's how it will have to be viewed. So, 
So how was it when I was? I, mean, I can remember when I was a child, right? You can remember some things about being a child. And I can remember about being in school. I can remember about going to high school as a teenager. And while that was great, because that meant that I had increasing freedoms. It meant that, well, you know, I, I got to be, I think the age at which I could date, according to my parents, would be 16, 17. I'm not dictating that. I think that's what they decided I'm sure it was, and, and getting to drive a car, that, that meant some freedoms, and, and I can remember during those times. It's very easy when we enter into those years to argue this way in our minds, and you know, now that I've got this freedom, I've got to make these decisions about how I'm going to be, and, and uh, if you have the freedoms, how will you use them? If I'm going to be, be dating somebody, seeing people, will I, uh, what will I do about alcohol? What will I do about drugs? What will I do about sex? What will I do about cheating and being honest? What will I do about how I treat people, even my enemies? What will I do about treating people who aren't the in crowd? And I'm, you know, I start making some serious decisions. When I went to, to school, to Fried Hardeman, I can remember the first Sunday I was there. I remember it just distinctly. And I, I had this strange feeling that nobody was going to tell me to get up and go to worship. Nobody was there to do that. And when you, some of these, some of the students in this room right now, you know, you, you, you have experienced this recently and you think, uh, you know, uh, nobody's going to tell me to do that. And, and some, some kids go to college and they leave home and they, they have a dorm or they have an apartment and you know what? They're not very faithful to worship. In life, we make major in these blocks of time, categories, if you please, we make major decisions. And what my plea is, is that you and I would, would be crucified with Christ in every aspect, every category of our lives. When I'm a teenager, I mustn't argue. There you are. I mustn't argue when I'm a teenager that, hey, I'm only going to be a teen once. Because some people argue like that, you know, and say, now I'm going to sow some wild oats because, hey, <laughs> I'm 17 years old. I'm going to have a lot of fun, and they mean sinful fun. No, instead, what, what we got to say is, I'm only going to be 17 once. I want to I give this category of my life, this part of my life to Christ. I want to be what I profess to be. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to commit fornication. I'm not going to, to be a liar. I'm going to be what, what, to the best of my ability, what God want, wants me to be. And I, I start my career, and it's going to be the same thing. I'm crucified with Christ, and in my career, I want to be an honest and good man. I want to be what God would have me to be. As a father, as a husband, I want to be what God wants me to be in every category, these major categories of my life. So just like a funeral sermon, you, you make those reflections over those categories, and here's what he was in this and this and this and this, and we kind of walk as an overview of his life. Hezekiah is our character for this morning, and all that was to introduce us to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the, depending on how you count it, the 13th king in Judah. And that hinges on whether or not you add in Athaliah. You know, the queen, I'm not too big on her. She was terrible. So that would have a bearing. I have her in my list here. That's, that has a bearing on the count. But about the 13th king of Judah, and there will be about 21 of them. Hezekiah is, he's special, and, and I hope it does you as much good hearing this sermon as it did me to study and prepare it. Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. Now, let's do four categories of the life of 
Hezekiah today. And so if you're keeping notes, it'll be very simple. Four categories, four blocks of his life. And so this is kind of the way God tests us through this life. How did we do in this block? How did we do with this? And so the first one that I want to raise is this, the negative parenting influence. I'm telling you that Ahaz was not just a little bit wicked. He, he persuaded Israel or, or Judah, rather, to be as idolatrous as possible. And it just takes your breath away. What is idolatry? Idolatry says, I don't like the requirements and restraints that God, Jehovah, puts on me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this myself. And so it is, to, it is to create God in our own image. That's idolatry. And that's what Ahaz did. So I'm just going to read a couple of passages just to get you in this mindset. So I'm in Second Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 23. Listen closely. For he sacrificed, this is Ahaz, the daddy of our character Hezekiah. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, the temple. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. He made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every single city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. That's not all, though. When you jump back to chapter 16 and verse 3 of 2 Kings now, today we start in 2 Kings 18, but if you, if you jump back to verse 3 of chapter 16, talking about Ahaz, it says, But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Last Wednesday, Aaron made some reference to this passage. So, our character today, Hezekiah, is born of Ahaz. And the fact of the matter is, if you just put your finger right on it, there are a whole lot of people growing up right now, young people growing up, and they, if they do not change away from the religious beliefs and practices of their parents, they will ultimately go to hell. I know that's blunt. It's just the truth. When you read what Jesus said about a broad way and a narrow way, and more people are going to go the broad way that leads to destruction than goes to life, the fact of the matter is, most young people are going to have to push back against and reject the religion of their parents or they're not going to go to heaven. That was just true about Hezekiah. But watch what he did. Now, chapter 18 of 2 Kings, beginning in verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. Now, you have Israel and Judah, divided kingdom. That Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name is Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, you need to make some mark around verses 3 and 4 because this defines him. This is God's statement about Hezekiah. that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah. 
nor her who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. They did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. I want that to be said about you and me when our time is finished. There was not a king like him before or after. <coughs> now, there were, some, there were some kings that were more outstanding in reference, to, in reference to ruling in Israel and all of that. You might point to different qualities, maybe riches of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. What is it that distinguished Hezekiah? And the answer is, he just cleaned the house. Why did he do that? But Ahaz, his daddy didn't teach him that. He comes in and he just wipes out the idolatry everywhere he sees it. He digs it out and he breaks it up and destroys it. Now that, that is what was so pleasing to God. God says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that kind of heart. Now it wasn't just that he did this as an abstract thing. You might look at it and say, well, but his older brother was, was burned in the fire in sacrifice to the idol. And maybe this was just a grudge thing. Maybe it made him a little wacky. And so he just cleaned the house of idolatry. I doubt that. I mean, I'm sure that he was persuaded by the loss of his brother. But you dig deeper as we're going to in just a moment. And you'll see that Hezekiah did everything he did because he knew that Jehovah was the creator of all the universe and was, listen closely, the only true and living God. That no God of any nation was, was true or living or real, only Jehovah. And based on that, Hezekiah cleaned the house of idolatry. All right, so here's, here's the first category of his life. He's young, he's 25 years old, he, he becomes king, and this is what he does. He gets rid of that garbage idolatry, and he serves Jehovah God. All right, now here's number two. So what about uh, dealing with enemies? And in his life, he's going to have some enemies. I'm in chapters 18 and 19, and we'll start, let's start in 18 about verse 9. I'm not going to read all the verses. I just want to hit the high part, parts to get you the, the idea. So it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, that Shalom, Shalmaneser, that's how you pronounce it, the long E, Shalmaneser, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up, up against Samaria and besieged it. So Assyria, their king, Shalmaneser, came and, and took away Israel they, at Samaria. So remember, divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. He comes and he goes to Samaria, takes them away, and he puts, by the way, Assyrians on their land. He fills it up with Assyrians so that there's no place for Israel to come back to. This is a done deal. The train is now left the station. And so uh, there you are. And this is about 721, 722 BC. And then what happens is that the new Assyrian king, Sennacherib, gets his eye on Judah, Hezekiah the king. So drop down to 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, some years have passed, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I, I, I've done wrong. Now, Hezekiah is cowering here. I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Don't attack us. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. The word is vassal. And I, I don't use this word very much, 
But in 17, chapter 17 and verse 3, you can underline it in your Bible, V-A-S-S-A-L. V-A-S-S-A-L, vassal means that you have a more powerful nation that overwhelms a smaller or a less powerful nation and says, now, we could, we could destroy you or we can let you live. And if we let you live, what you're going to need to do is to pay us tax or tribute. And that smaller nation becomes the vassal. Vassal. Well, so that's what Ahaz did. And, and Hezekiah comes in, and so that's what he's doing. He's paying, paying tribute. But now, what will it cost? And the answer is, it's gonna, and it's gold and silver, and it's talents. Of the, and, and the only thing that, that he can do, well, let's, you read with me. Here's verse 14. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, saying, I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. The king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah, are you ready for this? Stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And then Hezekiah had a David moment. A David moment. You remember David, the boy David, when he goes to check on his brothers who are fighting the Philistines and he sees Goliath. And David has this, this moment when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, I don't, this is wrong, this is all wrong. And he just he goes and fights the giant himself. He feels this righteous indignation, this fury, this anger. This is wrong, and we've got to stop it right now. And sometimes in our faith, there are hills to die on. And this was one, and David did it. And Hezekiah had a moment like that. And, and he realizes, I'm, I'm paying, I just took the gold off the doors of the temple to pay this man this tribute. This is wrong. And he contacts the Egyptians and says, I'm going to go to war with Assyria, and when I do, you want to come along? Well, Sennacherib hears about that. Now, let's keep going. I'm still in chapter 18, now verse 21. There are about four different arguments. So here comes Sennacherib with the Assyrian army, 185,000 of them, and they, they get outside of Jerusalem, and they send their main guys in to talk to the main guys of King Hezekiah. So you're having this conference here. And there are four arguments that Sennacherib, the Assyrian man makes, king makes, to say, look, yield. Don't, don't be foolish about this. You just yield to us because if you don't, we're going to squash you. And your God has nothing he can do to us. Start with verse 21. Now, I'm going to just hit the high points again. Here's the first argument. Now, look, you're trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it'll go into his hand and pierce it. So, so is Pharaoh king of Egypt, all who trust him. So number one is broken reed, pierce your hand. Egypt ain't going to help you. You better yield to me. Now drop down to 225. God won't help you. Have I, not, have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now the, I take that to mean Jehovah. You, you know what? I, I should have told you. Your God, Jehovah, told me that it was good to come and destroy you. 
So don't, don't you be thinking that your God's going, you know what, this is just baloney, of course. Now, drop down to 25. Uh, 20, uh, I'm sorry, 30. Drop down to 30. If you will yield to me, I will treat you well. 30 says, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present. Come out to me and every one of you eat from his own vine, every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. I'm going to be good to you. Everything's going to be great for you if you follow me, yield to me, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver you. Does that kind of give you the heebie-jeebies? In other words, we're going to take you off this land. We're going to remove you from your land, but I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. Just yield to King Sennacherib, and everything's going to be wonderful. And here's the fourth one. Drop down to 33. There's no nation. There's no God able to stand against us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of King of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharavim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from, from my hand. You know what? Look, I know that you got your God and all that. I know that you serve your God. But every place we've been, and they've had a series of successes. They're full of themselves. And none of those gods could stop us, and your God can't stop us. Just look at history. Look at what we've done to them, and that's what we're going to do to you. Now yield. There's their persuasion. So you get to chapter 19, and Hezekiah uh, is going to pray. He puts on sackcloth, and his reaction to this, and remember, this is a category of his life. It's about when the enemies come, and the enemies are, you, you ever have an enemy? You know what that's like? The enemies are coming. The hard days are here. I mean, it's easy for you and me because we can read this. We know what's going to happen, but he didn't know. And here's his prayer. I want to drop down to verse 14. Hezekiah went to the temple, and he, and he took this letter that his ambassadors had brought to him that said all of these things that I've just read to you. And, and this is just beautiful, you know. The beauty of, of Hezekiah is that he's so simple in his faith. It is that he just, he just knows that Jehovah God is the only true and living God, and that's a given. He just knows that, and so he's going to act that way. He's very simple in his mind, and, and you've got to love this man. And so he goes before God. And you remember, just outside of Jerusalem there are 185,000 soldiers belonging to Assyria. And they're going to, you know, you make your choice. They're going to come and attack or not attack. You yield or you don't yield. And so here's Hezekiah. He's in the temple. And he lays out that letter that has these arguments that you've just heard read. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, this may be the most important part of this sermon. Listen to this prayer. O Lord God of Israel, 
the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. That's true. But they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God. Get this, you alone. You're the only one. The reason they could destroy those, Hezekiah gets it. There's a simple faith that he's God. I know this truth, and that's why I'm acting this way. And you're the only one, the only one who can do this. Now, God's response, and, and again, I'm going to just hit the high spots, but I want you to get verse 28, 2 Kings nineteen twenty-eight. Here's God's reaction. Speaking, as it were, to Sennacherib and to the Assyrians. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Now, those words came from the mouth of your God. And it just, it's just, I don't know, that part right there always gets me. He says, okay, I'm done. I'm going to jerk you around and send you back the way from which you came. And that's how that's going to be. Now, never wonder about the power of your God. Never do. He's a father. He's our father. And he's going to do as he wills for our ultimate good. But whatever he chooses to do, he certainly has the power to do it. Now, let's drop down to verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. Next slide. The Psalms are full of this. As for me, 3145, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you're my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. And that's, that's Hezekiah. That's how it must be. Here are the rules. In Matthew chapters 5 and 6, what about the enemy rules? It's not very complicated, really. Avoid relishing retaliation. If he he smites you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Just know that, that vengeance belongs to God. Two, treat them better than they treat you. Matthew 5 and verse 44, don't curse them because they curse you. We're different. Pray and pray and pray. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 13, at the bottom of the model prayer, he says, don't, don't deliver us. Or, d- or deliver us, rather, from the evil one. Deliver us from that. And then wait on God, which may be the most difficult part of this. Psalm 37. And that's over and over in the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament. Wait on God. Wait on God. Wait on God. According to his time. All right, number three. We get to chapter 20 now, and it's time to die. In those days, verse 1, Hezekiah was sick and near death. 
And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. His reaction to that is he goes and prays to God and he weeps. And he says, I don't want to die. I, I, I want, just let me live. Let me live a little longer. And that's, that was granted by God. And so Isaiah leaves Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah walks away, and God says, stop, go back. And I want you to tell him that I'm going to extend his life 15 years. Isaiah does that. And by the way, I, Hezekiah says, what will be evidence that I'm going to live? And Isaiah said, would you like the sundial shadow to go forward or backwards? And he said, well, it was, you know, it always goes forward. I want it to go backwards. And so that's what happened as proof that God was going to have him live. So God says, you're going to live 15 more years. I'll I'll grant your prayer, and I'm going to let you live 15 more years. So he recovers from his disease, and he's going to live 15 more years. I do not know the occasion of my death or yours. I do not know when that will be. I know that there's a natural inclination built into all of us that we want to live. And, and what happens in Christianity is a kind of transfer, trans, transformation. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, the Bible says that Jesus came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Isn't that interesting? And that's what happens, of course, that he takes away from us the fear of death. I don't mean altogether, of course. And it's not wrong for you to love life. I think that's true about everybody in this room. We do, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. If any man will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. We don't, we don't fault Hezekiah because he wanted to live. And God granted him 15 more years. Now, here's the fourth one. That's the third one. But here's the fourth category of his life. And, and that is prosperity. Now, you may think that sounds like it's out of order. After all, I mean, we just did the death one mortality, and now we're going to talk about prosperity. But that's applicable in his life because God said, here's 15 more years. Just think about the fact that 15 more years means, I mean, it's from God. God made the statement, so Hezekiah's not going to die in 15 years within that time. He's not going to have a disease that takes his life. There's not going to be an enemy to kill him. There's not going to be an accident that takes his life. God said, I'm going to give you 15 more years to live. How would that affect you? Here's the last point is that Hezekiah is in a time of prosperity. So God delivers them from the Assyrians at that time. And and he gets a couple of letters, Hezekiah does, from the king of the Babylonians. And um, saying, hey, Hezekiah, pal, listen, I understand you've been sick. feel real bad about that. And I want to come and visit you and see about you. Now, this this is the king and his son of Babylon, of Babylon. And, and so here they come, you know. And Hezekiah says, oh, I'm much better now. Everything is fine. Oh, we're just so glad to see you. Hey, you want to show us around? Sure, come on. And Hezekiah proceeds to show them all the wealth of Judah. He shows them the gold. He shows them the weaponry. He shows them what military things they have in Judah and, and says, you guys have a nice day. Thanks for dropping by. And they leave. Isaiah comes and says, what did you just do? What did you do? Well, I, I, the Babylonian prince came and I, uh, I showed him around. What did you show them? He said, I showed them everything. Isaiah said, let me tell you what's going to happen. There will be a day when the Babylonians will come in here and they're going to take 
everything that they saw. They will take all of it, and your descendants are going to be eunuchs in service to the Babylonian king. That's what's going to happen. Now, I want to, I want to read to you verse 19. When Hezekiah heard this, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? And you can read that as being selfish. You can read that and it sounds like he's saying, well, hey, you know what? I'm really sad about what's going to happen to Judah after I'm gone. But at least while I'm here, everything's going to be okay. I don't think that's it at all. Take it from a different vantage point. At the beginning of his reign, he cleaned out the idolatry. He decided where he was going with his life. And every category of his life that we've walked through, he's been close to God. He's never turned loose of his faith. You must never turn loose of your faith. He held on to it tenaciously every step of the way. I believe that when Hezekiah became king and resolved to serve God with everything he had, that he knew that he would only be able to push back this tidal wave of idolatry for a little while. He knew that it was coming back. He knew he didn't. I mean, he was the king, so he had this power of the crown, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't be here forever. And, and I think he just knew that it would come back when he was gone. And I believe what Hezekiah is saying here in the close is, at least in my time, at least in these 15 years, I will have that much, and I will have suppressed the idolatry for that long. Now, let me tell you, that's what happened. So during those 15 years, Hezekiah has a son. Prior to this, he didn't. And his name is Manasseh. And old Manasseh is going to grow up and take his daddy's throne when, when his daddy's dead. And Manasseh is going to come back. Do you ever, you know how it is when you have a conservative president and then you have a liberal president come in or vice versa? And it's not so uncommon to just clean the house and they they change everything. Well, Manasseh did that. Manasseh put back every idolatrous thing that his old sorry granddaddy had had, Ahaz had had before that. Now, now, I mean, just in a very short amount of time, Manasseh changes everything back to idolatry and even worse than his grandfather. But there was a day, there was a day when Hezekiah was king and Hezekiah pushed back the tide. Our lives will not be memorable. We will not be able to remember when we get to the end of life, the days or the week specifics. We won't be able to remember very many of those. As a matter of fact, you'll find it difficult and probably do to, to point out particular years. If I, if I put it a year, 11 years ago, what would you do in that year? You, you might be able to say general things, but you probably have to do some digging to figure out, I just don't remember much about that. The years go by very quickly. A better way to look at it is, is in categories of time, as we do in funeral sermons. And, and that's what you've got with Hezekiah, and I believe that's why it's here. Because we walk away from this, and you say, Hezekiah made the decision to serve God, and he never, ever stopped that. I mean, to the very end, he never stopped that. What he did in showing the palace and all of that, he, it was naivety, the, uh, the, te- the temple, I mean, and all the wealth and all of the, the military things. It was naive. If I, if I have to choose between being righteous and naive, that's better than being unrighteous and very, very shrewd. He was naive. 
but he was righteous. And God knew it. And God said there, there's not been a, a king before him or after him that was as good, as righteous as Hezekiah. Serve God with all your heart in every category of your life. Don't leave anyone unturned. Make the decision now that in all the, the times of your life, you will be a faithful Christian, that you'll be a faithful member of his church, that you'll do all you have, you give all that you have to be defined as a faithful Christian. I wonder if there's somebody here today that's been thinking about becoming a Christian and you haven't and you want to. And let me just invite you to do that now. We'll be so happy to baptize you just as the Bible says, for the reason it says, into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you want want the prayers, you need the prayers of the Christians, we'll be so happy to do that. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.